Hi everybody and welcome to this, the ARC360 podcast, brought to you in association with corporate partners BASF, BMS, CAPS, Copart, Emacs, Integral, Enterprise Rent-A-Car, Merca, Nationwide Vehicle Recovery Assistance, S&G Response and Sherwin-Williams Automotive Finishes, as well as our partners Aztec, the Innovation Group, Indarsa and the Green Part Specialists. So today we catch up with John Parker, Business Development Director at Pennings, where, by using his fair share of analogies, he explains the workings and ethos behind the group's continued success, why the business took a pivotal stance in bringing back its apprentice force from furlough first, why the operation sees ADAS centres as the new MOT centres, and rather humorously, he explains the perils of Murphy's Law. So in those thinking, there isn't a synergy between riding a bike, going head-to-head with F1 champ Lewis Hamilton, and running a body shop will be enlightened. And John becomes the first person I've heard who brands the self-driving Teslas simply as boring. Enjoy the podcast. So welcome everybody. And uh, joining me today is John Parker, Business Development Director at Pennings. Thanks very much for joining us, John. How goes it? It's all good. Really great, Mark. Thank you. Good. And we've obviously had a brief catch up before recording this today. And it does sound like some uh, some truly positive things are, are coming out of Pennings at the moment. So um, first up, before we go too much into Pennings itself, just tell us a little bit about yourself, your involvement in the industry over the years, because you've been involved in some some pretty interesting projects and you've never been afraid to kind of, you know, push the boundaries and do things differently, really. So just give people a little bit of a flavour of, of John Parker. Uh, it started in uh, 1986, created my own body shop and very, very quickly realised we needed something to carry out our estimating invoicing. So true to sort of my way of thinking, we decided, why buy something? Let's write our own. We'll probably get a better product. Cut a long story short, that created Bodymaster. 750 users later, that product was sold to Glasses for a considerable amount of money. I went on to run another IT company, many will remember as Biteback. And we developed many systems in those days. People will probably recognize products like Paintit, which won the Environmental Award with Body Shop Magazine, Audit, lots of software for paint companies, and just went on then to become an importer of Simac. We developed the concept around Body Shop Revolution. We took that out to America. Now that's quite successful in America. And I guess a a wish to slightly, I say slow down, probably the wrong word. Um, I was offered an opportunity to work with the Pennings Group, having known Gary Penning for about 30 years and jumped at it because they're just such an amazing family and amazing people to work with and um, ended up becoming business development director. Business development director for us isn't just about, often people associate that word with sales. It's not at all. It's actually about business development internally and how we actually create a better business environment throughout the business, making it better for all of the people, all of the team here, a very much bottom-up approach rather than a top-down approach. In other words, giving people a challenge and seeing how they cope with it, but giving them some framework and guidelines to do it within. That way you get people to feel as they have real control over their career, their livelihood, what makes things tick. I'm a great believer in having done a huge amount of study around systems thinking, theory constraints, uh, some lean, that the bottom-up approach to business environment is way better than the autocratic top-down approach, which often happens in business and we certainly see in government and 
probably with the COVID crisis is probably a good example of how not to do top down. All right. A mixed bag and, and some, uh, you know, super initiatives and innovative things in the past there that you've uh, you've created. And on obviously now with Pennings and Gary and, and Matthew there, who I know quite well and very well over the years and, uh, and doing some great stuff as the business. So Pennings likely to be a familiar name amongst many within the industry, best known for its large scale sites. But there's far more to the business than that as, as you and I know, and you in particular. But um, tell us a bit more about the business as it stands today and then your kind of role in that. Well, Pennings Group has grown organically. In the last 40 years, Gary has taken it from what has been a one-man operation to a 120-man operation. It consists of three large body shops. Uh, when I say large, they vary between 25 and 35,000 square feet. They do repair a considerable amount of cars, and across the Pennings Group, we repair about 12,000 cars a year. So considerable. Bolted into that is almost a, a three-tier system. A business called Repair Pods was formed six years ago. That was to provide a specific solution to individual customers, whereby they required very low-key to key times, a direct response, non-interference from other clients. So we created a solution that provided a pod on a customer's site dedicated that would reduce key, key time to sub two days as an average. And we've been very successful at that. That business has grown this year and next year we continue to have a rollout of pods within some of our clients and that's a really exciting opportunity. Alongside of that, we have some clients that also allow us to create a small body shop as well. So we actually have three types. We have the large super centers. We have medium size opportunities where we bolt a pod onto the side of an industrial building, which allows us to run two or three men out of that operation and give us a circa five to six hundred thousand pound turnout over out of each. And then we go to the individual pod alongside a customer site. So it's a three tier system and it suits many of our customers extremely well because it provides that absolutely dedicated service tailored to them, fitting in with their requirements. And that's really quite exciting. And obviously, once you get that buy-in, once you can demonstrate to customers that you are focused on providing a service that poisoned by any other work that you do does not change the priority because you don't do any other work, that's really exciting for them. I guess from a downside point of view, it makes you slightly vulnerable, but we're a great believer here that many streams make a, a river. So rather than having one big river, which COVID has been a great demonstration of where you have maybe one larger customer and suddenly it all dries up, that makes you extremely vulnerable. I've always said the number one in business is the worst. One customer is terrible. One supplier is terrible. You, you, you're in an extremely vulnerable position. So that move to make the many streams a river, but keep those streams individual and very customer focused is actually key to what we do. And that's not just around pods, but that's also around our body shop so you'll notice that all three of our shops operate in very different ways not from a process point of view but from the type of customer streams that we have within them as an example our Watford shop is very focused on repairing for our rental partners whereas Milton Keynes is very much around prestige high-end restoration specialist coatings so different models but those again provide many streams and i think that's probably been partly what has helped us through covid in the fact that where some streams have dwindled not dried up but dwindled others have been stronger and that's really quite exciting that's kept us at a position across the business across the top end running at around 80 percent of normal capacity to pods running at about 140 to 150 percent of where they were last year so significant growth in that part of the business tell us a little bit about people you've all you've Mentioned people immediately. Pennings is renowned for its ethos and its focus on its people. 
those different business models that you've just mentioned as well, how are they populated with Penning's staff? You've obviously got people based all over the country, in essence. We have got people based all over the country, which makes it a challenge from a management perspective. But again, back to that bottom up model, if you provide people with a framework in which to work and then let them decide what is best to do so, also incentivize them in the same way in which a customer measures us, then you actually get the best behaviors and the best processes and the best results from that team. Giving them the opportunity to decide where to collect a vehicle, when to deliver it back, how to repair it, within guidelines, of course, and treat every vehicle as if it was your own. That, for us, seems to seems to work quite well. There are always challenges, of course, around any one of these. And in particular, where you have remote working, keeping that buy-in, sharing the love is more difficult with them. But at the, at the same time, by giving them that freedom, still measure them, of course, you know, it's, but it's given the freedom and the responsibility. If you give them the responsibility and then the accountability, that seems to work extremely well. So people is what is really what it's all about. In the body shops, last year, we started quite a large apprentice program. And clearly during lockdown and then subsequently with bringing people off furlough, we've found that we've not been able to bring, not everybody's quite back yet, but we expect everybody to come back. What is important, we've brought all the apprentices back and brought the apprentices back quite early. They are our future. Training young people in the way in which we feel collision repair should be carried out absolutely vital to our future now you could argue that with probably a number of shops not going to make it right the way through this um, pandemic um, we're going to see perhaps a slight glut of exceptionally skilled people on the market whereas historically we've always struggled to find exceptionally skilled people within the market and we've always paid quite high premiums particularly in the london area for those skilled people that we can really um, utilize within the business that can really provide us and them with some, some a, a great result. Growing apprentices is a longer burn, we believe is a is a, a better solution, not because we'd pay less, but because we teach them and mentor them in what is important to the business. And therefore they become much more rounded people within the team. A great focus and a, I think a, a great philosophy to have. And, you know, you know, if they look at case studies of some of the uh, most successful organisations in the world, and yeah, it's all about people. And I think that showing people the love, as you referred to it, I mean, I think that's probably a, a challenge for most businesses at the moment, working remotely. People are certainly figuring out ways to do this, means and ways to do it. You know, and technology is obviously a, a huge enabler of that at the moment. So I think that will continue to evolve, won't it? I mean, this year, undoubtedly, has, has been challenging. There's many different terms for it. Uh, yeah, challenging is probably one of the biggest understatements that we'll have. You seem to have coped remarkably well under the circumstances. What has been behind that? You've already mentioned the people side of things. You, you had to juggle things around there, as every business did. What else has kind of been really the propulsion behind 2020 and sustaining the business? When the pandemic started to hit, there were obviously alarm bells started to ring as this could be probably more serious than we thought. The interesting point that 
people tend to always forget is the fact that this is not a COVID has not put us in this position. The government has put us in this position. Their reaction to COVID is what has actually created the challenge we have in society. COVID ultimately will just kill people. Yeah, I know that sounds harsh, but that's actually what it will do. The government creates the economic challenge that we have at the moment. And people sometimes tend to forget that bit. That said, this is not a political thing, that you have to navigate your way around government decisions. On the whole, from our perspective, early on, they've handled it extremely well. The furlough scheme has been vital to our business. Shutting down for a couple of months is not a fun thing to do. And certainly the senior management team spent every working hour working out what the cash flow issues were around that, how that would affect PL, what that would look like around coming back out of lockdown. And we actually predicted it pretty well. Yes, we hemorrhaged a lot of money. Fortunately, we were in a position from frugal trading in the past that we were able to withstand that without too much problem. Just disappointing to watch the money ebb out of the bank account. Nevertheless, we knew that we would survive it. Second lockdowns, local lockdowns are going to cause another set of challenges. Nevertheless, we are prepared. We have policies in place. We survived it because we're a strong business, I guess. And those that don't survive it will probably not survive it, not because they don't know how to, but because they'll ultimately run out of cash. Sad. And that's where I think Pennings have been very, very smart in the fact they haven't spent money on the latest whiz-bang thing. They've been prudent. They've been careful. They've thought long and hard often about decisions. From my world, sometimes that seems painfully slow, some of those decision-making. But what is really interesting is that most of the decisions that are made tend to actually be right, if you look at it with hindsight. So my quick and fast sometimes is a bit messy and creates a bit of damage. And sometimes the decision-making may not have been good. And one of the great things you glean from Gary's wisdom is that sometimes it's best not to turn dash in and go, hey, this is a great idea, let's just go and do it. It's very much, no, it might be a great idea, but let's really consider all the issues around that. I think that's what puts has put us in a really good and strong position has been that wisdom around decision-making historically that means that the bank accounts are in the right place. We don't borrow money. We own a lot of properties. I use the we, of course, very. <laughs> um, it makes it a much more comfortable place to work for. Having said that, we're not complacent. Every part of the business is driven by incentive. And I don't just mean financial incentive, but incentives in, in, in other ways in which to improve, in which to grow. And one of the things that we're very, I think we're good at is giving young people in particular opportunity. Uh, let me perhaps give you an example of that. We have a company called ADAS Centers Limited because we sell ADAS solutions out into the market outside of our own organization. We see ADAS as being almost the new MOT centers of the future, coupled alongside diagnostics. We've tried to make that part of our business be manned by youngsters, people that understand IT are way better than me at, you know, punching numbers into a computer and certainly have a brain that is far quicker around the whole IT diagnostics logic issues that are required for that type of work. So we see that as a big part of our future and getting youngsters involved with that is really, really important. That's just an example. That's a great example to give as well. The picture they're creating is is definitely the philosophy of the right pieces of the jigsaw in the right place at the right time, whether that be the actual centres physically, whether that be personnel, and again, thought process, i.e., you know, when do I hit the button? Do I consider things first and foremost, as we should do in any business decision making, but what is the right time to take those leaps of faith ultimately? So yeah, fascinating story to tell. People obviously make the business tick. What have been your experiences for different operating models taught you about 
people, available resource, skill sets, people out there in the market? So a lot of what I've done historically has been very much about theory and study and understanding how a body shop can operate. And as I'm sure you know and understand that we take, for example, a body shop revolution model where we turn almost everything on its head and challenge all of the belief systems that most people have around how you repair a car. Of course, these belief systems have been built by trial and error and what's tended to work for people. And of course, if something works for somebody, they go back to it when things start to fail again, sort of learning a bit from history. What, unfortunately, most body shops don't have the luxury of doing is be able to turn their whole business on its head and go, hey, let's just try something completely brand new. I was lucky enough to be able to do was spend a year and a half with a, a, a key team of my days back at Bikeback and actually challenge every single thing that we believe around repairing cars and actually see whether they stand up when we challenge them and we keep asking ourselves a question, you know, does that really work? Can we break it? What is it? How do, how do you repair cars faster, cheaper, better? We need to be able to repair a car in the lowest possible key to key. If we do that, we always beat our competition. We need to be able to repair it cheaper internally. Internally is really important that we can actually process a car cheaper than our competition. That way we'll always stay ahead. So it's cheaper, faster and better. So better is right first time, every time. What we call Murphy's, the things that bite us in the backside, the things that always go wrong, if it can go wrong, will go wrong, and always at the worst possible time, that's a Murphy. And a Murphy is something that we massively try to reduce. We can never eliminate Murphy completely, but we can reduce him massively. And to give you an example of that, you know, if, if you see a, a, you know, a Formula One driver that's half a second a lap quicker than everybody else, he, within 10 laps, he's sort of five seconds ahead, comes in for a pit stop, cross-threads the wheel nut, 20 seconds gone. That Murphy created that gain in speed. Unfortunately, this industry measures efficiency and speed and forgets really to deal with the Murphys. And so we work really hard at working faster and put huge amounts of effort into that, but fail to manage the bit like the part that turns up incorrectly or the damaged part or the guy that drops something or doesn't have the right tooling in place or whatever. So historically, I've worked very hard at trying to ensure that through theory constraints uh, thinking, reduce Murphy and therefore increase speed. At the same time, it's really important to, to understand that this older philosophy of a larger shed, and we have lots of large sheds at Pennings, but the larger shed that is then segmented into separate disciplines, MET, panel, paint, polish, prep, creates its own efficiency within the department. But by having efficient departments and busy departments, when a vehicle is passed from one department to another, it goes downstream it then has to wait for that department to be freed up to take on that vehicle typically we know that a 15-hour repair yeah will only have a touch time the time which we're actually working on it typically of around about two to three hours a day yeah four if you're lucky and that's not because technicians are poor at what they do it's because the system we operate is not actually fit for purpose the pile it high sell it cheap departmental solution can never ever deliver low key to key times the only way to do that is by changing your complete thought process around a multi-skilled continuous workflow model whereby when a vehicle enters your building what we call release when it's released into the building that we never stop working on it that's the only way to deliver low key to key times and it's also not only having one man continually working on it and we don't have we only have one man but sometimes double up and sometimes actually move people to help where the process is not delivering at the speed we expect it to do so there are a number of things that we're doing here, and it's not a quick fix. It's not a quick fix for one reason, because people have belief systems. 
they believe historically that they've been doing it correctly. That's fine. And that's not a challenge, not a problem. But if you genuinely, honestly want to dramatically shift and compete in today's marketplace, you have to think differently and you have to challenge every belief you have. And I remember actually picking up the the Murphy saying from you many, many moons ago when uh, when you first explained the rule to me. And uh, it's stuck with me ever since then, actually. I don't know if I've eliminated all the Murphys in my life. I try and keep on top of them. I can, I can tell you, Mark, that actually it's impossible to eliminate any Murphys. And I'll give, I'll give you an example of that. Let's just say, for example that you think one of my Murphys that could hit could be my compressor breaking down. My compressor's broken down. I can't use DAs. I can't spray. I can't do many things in my body shops. That would be a critical part of my operation. And many body shops like us put a secondary compressor in. And if you're really smart, you every, every week you'll test the secondary compressor to make sure that it fires back up. But I can guarantee you that when your primary compressor breaks down, Murphy strikes and your secondary compressor does not fire up. So do you put a third one in? Do you put a fourth one in? No, you accept that Murphy can never be eliminated, but it can be massively reduced. I like that kind of stuff. We could build a whole podcast around that, I think, at some stage in the future, John. Probably about 20, actually. But <laughs> uh, No, really interesting. And, and again, further great insight in terms of how you guys look at things and, and piece the puzzle together, really, because that's essentially what it is. And it's really interesting, you know, the silo thinking. We often think this industry operates in silos. Well, down to the kind of micro level of silos within businesses themselves that shows you that the the problems that can occur there so really interesting train of thought now moving ahead and taking all these thoughts on board and I know you've kind of been on this this journey for, for for a long time for many years in terms of how you think about the businesses and dissecting businesses and, and putting them back together but how do you think the industry will be different moving ahead your operating models would indicate that segmentation is kind of a key uh, moving ahead but uh, just explain a little bit more around there if you can for us Okay, so segmentation specifically can work where you, like McDonald's, target people that want to just eat burgers. Where you have a specific need for a specific service, then segmentation works. So, for example, take some of our rental car customers. They have specific needs around the repair of their vehicles, which will be very different, for example, to our insurance partners' requirements, or, for example, the owner of a 911 Turbo Porsche that wants it completely restored and painted beautifully. So your business models can vary depending on your customers. Where segmentation doesn't work is actually in the individual process. What you need to do is take away that silo thinking within the process in other words you know that guy that all he does is strip and refit vehicles actually doesn't particularly care what happens to it in panel and paint and often will think especially if if you pay him a bonus uh, we often think when he refits the vehicle up oh the paintwork isn't quite right not my problem i'll carry on doing it anyway because i'm going to earn my bonus that's where the joined up yeah continuous workflow model is far better the segmentation has disappeared out of the process so yes segmentation can can work well in the solution that you deliver as a whole to a client but it doesn't work that well when you're talking about the end-to-end process where you have to achieve flow it's all about flow and throughput once you start handling the vehicle if that makes sense yeah no absolutely it does and do do you think you know do, do you think flow is going to be especially i suppose in light in terms of what we've seen with with the change in volumes in recent times do you think flow will be something that businesses repairers start to focus on more now that they need to kind of keep that throughput of vehicles going rather than having a, a nice car park full of cars if you like ready ready and waiting to be worked on possibly For me, flow and throughput have been the only real important things in business. Back to that faster, cheaper, better solution. The faster bit is the flow. 
how do we get a vehicle through the system as fast as possible? And the reason for that is because every business has fixed overheads. And irrespective, we know this through lockdown, we still have to pay the rent, we still have to pay the, the mortgage, we still have to pay you know, a, a, a management fees, we still have to pay some electricity. Those fixed fees, of course, are diluted into the number of cars that we repair. So although is, there is a direct cost against every repair, yeah, the, the paint materials, the parts, et cetera. It's the fixed overheads, the workforce that is the challenge. If, for example, as a body shop, and I'm taking numbers completely out of the air here, that you spend £300,000 a year on wages you know, to produce X number of cars, how do you, for the same money, produce more cars? And that's the simple thing. And that is achieved not by using sticks and carrots. That is achieved by changing the system by which you operate. Now, I'll give you an example. I may have given this one before. And I, excuse me for being repetitive, I have. But if we want to get from A to B, you and I could jump on our bicycle. If we jump on our bicycle to get from home to work, to go faster, we can do a number of things. We could purchase a lighter bike. That would probably allow us to go faster. We could purchase an aerodynamic bike. That may mean we can go faster still. We may get fitter, and that would allow us to go faster. All of those things will allow us to improve the system by which we're operating, riding the bicycle to work. In fact, if you change the system completely and take a horse-drawn carriage and put an internal combustion engine in it, you end up with a car. Now, if you drive a car, it requires no effort at all and will get you to work faster than a bicycle ever could. Therefore, the system is a far better system for the job it does. A car is far better than a bicycle. What traditional body shops are is a bicycle. What they haven't worked out, possibly, is how to turn that bicycle into a car. It's not about working harder. And trust me, I ride a bicycle. You have to work really hard to ride a bicycle fast. And you know, I drive a car to work not because it's a lot easier. And when I get to work, I can think. I can actually think in the car. I treat it as my university. I like that. Good analogies there again. They're ones that will stick with me as well. Gosh, I shouldn't I've talk got, to you I've so got a ton of those. I've got a ton <laughs> of those. They've, they've come through years of, of work, working out how not to do it. Well, they certainly make things very, you know, really uh, simple and provide a great visual of uh, of what we're thinking. I'll about. give you another little one if you like. Go I'll on, please. You, okay, so people believe that if they keep, and, and this is a this is actually a vanguard saying, and I know Rob Smell has used it, and that's doing the wrong things righter. I'm sure you've heard that one before, and that is essentially saying that actually that's the back to the bicycle scenario, whereby you know you keep improving it, but actually you're still doing the wrong thing ultimately the system, and that's where lean is slightly misguided within the collision repair trade. Lean is very much about delivering value by removing waste. Removing waste from a bicycle like waste doesn't improve the bicycle. It's still a bicycle. But if you take it, for example, that you want to drive as fast as Lewis Hamilton in his Formula One car, and if you were to sit there you know, in, my, in my Audi, for example, take it, take it sitting on the line at Silverstone, and the flag goes down, off we go, down, down to the first corner, and he just disappears off into the sunset. Yeah, my poor old little Audi engine doesn't, doesn't compete. My thinking then would be, hold on a minute, what I'll do is I'll bolt an enormous V8 in and I'll, I'll make the car better. We then have another lineup and off we go. And I actually beat him down to the first corner because my engine just has more power. And then I go to get to the first corner. He goes around it like he's on rails. I end up in the kitty litter because my car won't steer. So then I think I need to stiffen up the suspension. I need to put bigger tyres on and we go on and on and on. And I keep improving. Then it's too heavy and then I take weight out of it. What I've actually realised is the fact that I can't take the traditional car and make it a Formula One car. The only way to make a Formula One car is to build it ground up. And that's what you have to do with a body shop. Throw away what you have and build it ground up. That's the only way to improve it. Otherwise, you're just going to do the wrong things righter. You're going to make marginal gains 
to a system that is fundamentally flawed. From a repair level, what areas of business do you believe will undergo the most change in the coming years? We've obviously been through a, a period where we've all been focused on, on one particular thing. Those businesses, some businesses have taken the opportunity to expand and build and look in, introspectively and, and make changes. The coming years, you know, we talked a lot about technology as being an enabler as well. In recent times, that's probably been accelerated. So where do we see, I suppose, it all going in, in the next phase? Technology will continue to be an enabler. So anybody that thinks technology is, is not going to change very much uh, probably really ought to get their head out of the sand. I think we're going to see so much more complexity built into cars, clearly. Consider trying to repair realistically your own mobile phone, would you? Or you wouldn't consider trying to do brain surgery out of them by reading a manual. Those are things that most common sense people probably wouldn't tackle. That said, it means that we're going to have to specialise. We're going to have to train to specialise. And I think it's pretty clear that manufacturers, of course, as always, have wanted to hold on to their brand values, understandably, and wanted to make sure that the customer experience is outstanding. In order to enable that, they have to make sure they have dedicated solutions that understand their product. I can see the solution we have at the moment that is very much for many body shops, pile it high, sell it cheap, repair everything to becoming, making a choice around which partners they work with. And at the moment we work with normally insurer type partnerships or rental car partnerships or that sort of thing. Those will change very much to product specific partnerships a la specific manufacturers. They have to, insurers will have to ultimately send vehicles to, ve to people that know how to repair them. Now, clearly we started with, you know, PAS125, Kite Mark, etc that has obviously morphed um, over time and that's a start but that's really just a get out of jail card for insurers to just wipe the hands of any corporate social responsibility because they know that they've passed that vehicle into a repairer that has gone through an audit that says they can repair the car that's not going to be sufficient in the future the real standards are ultimately going to be set by vehicle manufacturers who understand their specific product. You know, that Thatcham does an amazing job, but it can't understand every product. It can understand, and it's morphing towards understanding ADAS and all of the AV system, that sort of thing on vehicles. But again, that will just become a minefield. It's already a minefield. ADAS is a black art at the moment. You know, we, we run our own ADAS technology here. We think we've invested in probably the best on the market. We've trained our guys very well, but we regularly get vehicles in and we just scratch our heads and say, what the hell is going on with this one? And ultimately, some of them have to go back to a main dealer who, guess what, scratch their head and go, what is happening with this one? But it escalates you know, up the ladder to find somebody ultimately goes, ah, yeah, well, we put in the Bosch thingy doodah, whatever, and you've got to do it this way. There are very few written rules around some of this stuff. And that's going to be a challenge. That's why segmentation around brand, manufacturing brand, is ultimately where it has to be. So smart body shops will be aligning themselves very, very carefully with two or three brands. Again, one brand is dangerous. That number one in business is a challenge. You know, we've seen consolidation within the car industry where brands have been continually, you know, absorbed. Uh, quite interesting. I was watching Top Gear last night and they challenged the RS6 against the Lamborghini Uros, 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 Uros. I'll get it right in a minute. And uh, of course, the under, underlying platform is actually the same vehicle. That is where you might want to align yourself with, for example, the Volkswagen Group, which probably brings in things like Ducati and 
that sort of thing is quite exciting, quite interesting. I think body shops ultimately will have to and be for, either forced out of the market or not. And I've, I've always wondered why vehicle manufacturers do not really properly get on board with insuring their own vehicles. Some do it reasonably well, most do it pretty appallingly, but actually insuring our vehicles and making sure your customer experience is amazing because you control the vehicle end-to-end in the repair process. Fabulous stuff. Well, thank you very much indeed, John, for your insights, uh, both within Pennings and across the industry. It's always uh, great to hear from yourself and you know your thoughts around what's going on and what will impact on the sector over the coming years. And I think what you've just said there probably you know aligns with uh, a fair few conversations I've, I've had of late. So yeah, we shall watch this space, I suppose, is all we can say at this given moment. But thank you very much for joining us, John. You're welcome. It's been great to talk to you. Now, we just have our quick fire question round so this is where we get to know you personally a little bit more so if you weren't business development director at pennings right now you would be retired in the south of france riding your bike by any chance no i, I actually i think the ADAS ADAS arena is really exciting at the moment the whole diagnostic so that will be really exciting to get involved with yeah we can all only see that going one way that's for sure best bit of business advice you've ever heard seen or received Oh dear, I don't know really. Uh, there are so many good bits of advice, and you never stop learning. You know, if you if you think you know it all, then you you, you probably should just stop there. I, I come into work every day, and and I think, what could we do better? What can we learn? You just never stop learning, and life is just such such fun when you're doing that. And self-driving vehicles are they for you? Yes or no, and why? Yes and no. I've driven a prototype Tesla, which completely drives itself. I think it's fantastic. Boring as hell. Just have a go in a Porsche GT3, and then you realise what driving is really all about. And having luckily been able to own a lot of very, very fast cars, historically, you can't take the passion out of somebody. And that's what's great about it. It's in the blood in this business. The, the motor industry has been has grown up you know, with people that are just passionate about cars. It's difficult to get a lot of passion about a self-driving car. It's really just a washing machine on wheels. <laughs> and they won't be using you as their marketing campaign in the years to come, will they? Well, no, no, I'm, 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 the technology is fantastic and it may reduce accidents. It creates a huge thing, issue around maybe, well, everybody says it creates a huge issue around liability. It doesn't really, but it's a good excuse to have a good talk about it. You know, we, we ensure all sorts of things that go out of control by themselves anyway. It's, it's great. It's, I, I love it. I, I think it's fantastic that we've got these challenges um, and massive changes in technology it happens so quickly you know, even look at your mobile phone from what mobile phone was 15 years ago to what it is today and cars will undoubtedly be the same way when we have the conversation when we're both old and frail then and we've got just look out of our window and see cars driving around by themselves and taxis picking up people and they're going to take themselves away to self-park and hibernate away or whatever they do i mean that's pretty pretty awesome our children have got just a, such a massive exciting future absolutely agreed well as i say john been fantastic to catch up with you thank you very much indeed for your time and uh wish you and all the team at pennings all the very best we'll catch you soon thank you thank you for the time thank you mark and so there we have it, a podcast of many analogies, but uh, highly entertaining at the same time and certainly brings the subject matters to light. So big thank you to John and the team there at Pennings uh, for the insights, both within their business and obviously across the industry. Huge thank you, as always, to our corporate partners, BASF, BMS, CAPS, Copart, Emacs, Integral, Enterprise Rent-A-Car, Merca, 
Nationwide Vehicle Recovery Assistance, SG Response, and Sherwin Williams Automotive Finishes, as well as our partners, Aztec, the Innovation Group, Indasa, and the Green Part Specialist. This has been the ARC 360 podcast. Hope you enjoyed it, and we look forward to catching up with you soon.